You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. signs and wonders, you'll never be satisfied. Let me say that again. If you base your faith on signs and wonders, you will never, ever be satisfied. You will always be looking for a greater sign. You'll always be looking for the next sign. When You'll be upset when things don't happen because your faith is not real. Your faith is not built on the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. If your faith is built on anything less, it's sinking sand. The miracles of Jesus can't be the core reason you seek Him. His function in your life needs to be far more intimate than just a genie in a bottle. Pastor Dave teaches you today that your search for Jesus must revolve around faith and seeking His will. If your interest in Jesus is based solely off selfish reasons, you'll be let down. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 2 as he begins his message, A Discerner of Hearts. You are going to read from verses uh, 23 through 25 in chapter 2. So if you want to read along silently, I'll read aloud. Beginning in John 2nd chapter, verse 23. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Several years ago, there was an editorial written in the Saturday Review. It was a magazine. It was written by a very famous liberal named Norman Cousins. Now, you have to understand one thing. Norman wasn't a friend of Christianity, but he wrote it, this editorial. But what he wrote is true, and it should convict us. He wrote about a conversation he had on a trip to India. He had this conversation with a Hindu priest named Sadis Prasad. Mr. Prasad told Cousins that he wanted to come to America as a missionary. Of course, Cousins assumed that he wanted to come to America as a missionary to get Americans to become Hindus. He wanted to come to America to teach the Hindu religion. But that wasn't the case. Mr. Prasad said to Mr. Cousins, I would like to convert America to the Christian religion. That didn't make a whole lot of sense to Mr. Cousins, being he lived in America. But Mr. Prasad's explanation was quite poignant. Christianity, he said, cannot survive in the abstract. It needs not membership, but believers. He continues, the people of your country may claim they believe in Christianity. But from what I see at this distance, Christianity is more a custom than anything else. 
I would ask you either to accept the teachings of Jesus in your everyday life and in your affairs as a nation, or stop invoking his name as sanction for everything you do. I want to help save Christianity for the Christian, he says. He goes on to say that Mr. Prasad had, uh, cousins go on to say that Mr. Prasad had it right. Christianity doesn't need membership. Christianity needs believers. He said that the church is filled with church members. The nation is filled. 80% of Americans claim to be Christians. 80%. And then Mr. Cousins asked these questions. If that's the case, why are churches so empty? If that's the case, why are drugs and alcohol rampant? If that's the case, why is homosexuality being socially acceptable? And why is the mass murder of unborn babies not only tolerated, but promoted? Pretty tough questions asked by the Hindu priest. Mr. Cousins reached the conclusion that there are a lot of people in America today who believe, but in reality, they do not believe. He concludes with this statement, there is a huge difference between claiming belief and truly believing. We see that in today's verses. In the verses that I read to you today out of the second chapter of John, you see this difference. On one hand, you have the disciples who believed in Jesus in the two passages that we studied recently in chapter 2. While on the other hand, today you have many who believed as we read the passage this morning. Remember the progression of the disciples' belief that we studied ever since we got to chapter 2? At the wedding feast of Cana, Jesus turns the water into wine. And in chapter 2, verse 11, says that the disciples believed in him. But ultimately, they didn't believe in Jesus because of the sign. They didn't believe in him because he changed water into wine. They believed in him because he changed their hearts. Something happened to them when they spent time with Jesus. Spending time with Jesus, you come away different. You come away changed. And then we talked about Jesus cleansing the temple. And the disciples remembered a scripture concerning zeal. Zeal, for your house has eaten me up. They recognized this scripture. And finally, in verse 22, the disciples put it all together. In verse 22, the disciples put it all together. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. They believed the Scripture. They believed the Scripture. The Scripture that was written. The Scripture was God's word. They believed God's word. Hmm. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Romans 10, 17, right? So when we get to today's passage this morning, there's a stark contrast. Whereas in the past two, two events that we studied, the wedding feast at Cana and the cleansing of the temple, very few people believed. But in the verse today, as you look at it, it says many. Many believe. And you know, we study Greek here. And the Greek word for many means many. Many people believe. See, Jesus' ministry is in full speed. He's not missing a beat. He's in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Now, I'm sure many of you who are biblical students know that the Passover lasts for about seven days. It's a seven-day feast. 
So while Jesus went on the first day and cleansed the temple, he had a lot of time to do all sorts of things. You ask, what was he doing? It says many signs. He did many signs during that time. So I can only suppose that he was healing the sick, that he was making the lame walk. He was giving the blind vision, and he was helping those who were deaf to heal and the mute to speak. He was doing all these things during this seven week. John doesn't record them because he said, if I recorded everything that Jesus did, there would be volumes and volumes. You couldn't fit them in the book. So we have to believe that Jesus was at work. And every time Jesus did a miracle, a sign, he also preached. He also preached about the kingdom of God. He also preached to them about the kingdom of God. And usually it was through a parable. It would be usually through a parable. He was at full speed. Changed the water to wine. Cleansed the temple. The Jewish leaders challenged him. Give us a sign. I'll show you a sign. And he points to his death and resurrection on a cross. Points to his resurrection. It says, many believed in him. Many professed faith. And this is great, right? This is fantastic. You're probably sitting there thinking, what's wrong, Dave? Many people came to him. But Jesus didn't accept their profession. He didn't accept their claim of faith. Why not? Well, I think the main reason is Jesus, being God, knew the belief, their belief was based only on the miraculous. It was only based on what they saw him do. Jesus knew that their belief was only based on that. And there are many today, even today, that search for the physical, the material, the financial, as verification of Jesus' deity and his reality. Many today are seeking only these things. And the problem with this is that this leads to a very, very flimsy, faulty faith. It leads to a flimsy, faulty faith. Why? Because that faith is built upon sand. That faith has a foundation of sand. And you know what happens when tribulation comes in, when affliction comes in, when trials comes in, when circumstances comes in, it washes over you, and what happens to the sand? Gone. Gone. Sand doesn't hold up. Not only does the sand not hold up, but your faith doesn't hold up either. It's washed away. If you base your faith on signs and wonders, you'll never be satisfied. Let me say that again. If you base your faith on signs and wonders, you will never, ever be satisfied. You will always be looking for a greater sign. You'll always be looking for the next sign. When You'll be upset when things don't happen because your faith is not real. Your faith is not built on the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. If your faith is built on anything less, it's sinking sand. Sounds like a song, right? Our faith must be built on Jesus Christ. It must be built on who he is. Our faith must be built on who Jesus is. It must be based on who he is revealed in God's word. Paul says this faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It is only the word of God that points to the person, Jesus Christ, and this produces genuine faith. So we look at verse 24. Well, we should read 24 now. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he did. We talked about that. In verse 24, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men. He didn't believe in them. He didn't put his trust in them. His faith in them 
although they were saying they believed in him. And the interesting thing here, in the Greek, believe in verse 23 is the same word as commit in verse 24. That's very interesting. One of the commentators called these people unsaved believers. I like that. Unsaved believers. You know, it's one thing to respond to a miracle. And I think if the Lord does miracles, and when he does miracles in our lives, we all respond. We all respond to that. But it's something else to commit your life to Jesus Christ. There's a difference. There is a difference. You commit yourself to Jesus Christ, and you continue on in his word. John gives us the reason Jesus did not commit himself to these believers in verse 24b. Look, he knew all men. And then in verse 25, and had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. Jesus did not commit to these believers because he knew man and what was in his heart. Jesus is a discerner of the hearts of men. Jesus is a discerner of the hearts of men. We've already seen this. We've already seen this in the short time we've been in John. In chapter 1, verse 42, he knew Simon's character. In chapter 1, 46, he knew Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree. We're going to get to chapter 4, and he's going to tell the woman of the well all the things that she's ever done. He knows the condition of the Jewish leader's hearts in chapter 5. He knows who's going to betray him in chapter 6. He knows how repentant the woman caught in adultery is in chapter 8. He is the discerner of the hearts. And throughout all the Gospels, you always see Jesus knowing what the disciples are talking about, knowing what they're thinking about, even when they don't speak, even when they're talking about being the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Well, those kind of things. Jesus knows that. He's a discerner of heart. Sure, people were following him. They were even believing on him because he was showing them a great thing. Everybody likes a good show. Everybody likes a good show. But as you look at Jesus' ministry, it does eventually hit a turning point. The nature and the frequencies of the miracles start to slow down. And at the same time, the people believe that the teaching becomes more difficult. But it really didn't become more difficult. It's just that people began to understand what Jesus was asking. When he said things like, whoever puts their hand to the plow and looks back isn't fit for the kingdom of heaven. Or, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Or, take up your cross daily and follow me. They started to realize this. They started to understand these things. And it became hard for them to hear. They didn't want to hear these things. In fact, it ends up with him saying, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And they all left. They bolted. This guy's crazy. They bolted. You know the story. Looks at the 12 and says, will you leave too? Peter stands up and says, where can we go? You have the words of life. You have the words of life. Jesus has life-giving words. Where can we go? Why did the fans leave? Why did the people leave? I suggest to you that they left because the novelty wore off. The novelty of the signs wore off. There weren't as many of them. And Jesus was preaching more than he was doing. He was giving them the word of God. And the novelty wore off. And it is always the way. Even when you see a show, as the novelty wears off, the show is not as exciting as it used to be. But in order to make the show better, it gets bigger and it gets louder. 
And it gets more dramatic and can hold our attention. If it doesn't, it gets old. The novelty wears off and it becomes boring. You know who knows this? Hollywood. Hollywood knows this. They know that they can get your money if they make the movies more action-packed. If they get louder and louder and more people are eaten by dinosaurs. Or people are scared by spooky things. They can get your money, but it's never enough. You notice how it's even getting more spooky, more dinosaurs. It's getting louder and louder. you got to see this in eyebacks. Turn your sound system up all the way to hear it. Explosions, loud, graphic violence. It's getting more and more graphic sex, more and more. Why? To keep you interested and to keep you coming back. Why do you think there's a Jurassic Park? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 810, 912. They want you to come back. They want you to spend your money on this stuff. So it keeps getting more and more exciting. If it was the same old stuff, it'd get boring. It would be boring. So if you believe in Jesus only for the show, it'll never be enough for you. You will get bored. You will get bored. If you only believe Jesus for the signs, you'll end up being one of the multitudes who walked away from him. If you only believe Jesus for what he can do for you, then he won't commit himself to you. He won't commit himself to you because he knows your heart. He knows why you're following him. He's looking in your heart right now as you sit here and listen to his word. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows the condition of your heart right now. I wish this guy would just shut up. I got something to do later. Come on, let's go. Why is he yelling at me? He knows the condition of your heart. He knows what you're thinking. And if you only believe in Jesus for what he can then do for you, then guess where the focus is? The focus is on you. All your focus is no longer on Jesus. It's on you. And you're the center of the attraction. You're the show. You're the main person. You're the focus. And if you're the focus, then you're on the throne of your life. Jesus is not sitting on that throne if you are the focus of your life. You're only calling on Jesus to serve you. And if you're only looking for Jesus to serve you, then you're the Lord of your life. You are the Lord of your life. And Jesus won't be your Savior. He can't be your Lord. Jesus knew people's hearts. He knew that they only believed in him because he was putting on a good show. They only believed in him because he was doing things for them. And they only believed in him because Jesus of the signs. And this is not true belief. True belief isn't about chasing Jesus' signs. Many believed in him. Let's look at that for a minute. He had a whole group of people that were gathering him around them, gathering around them. He could have capitalized on his popularity. He could have overthrown the government right there. He had all these people. He could have started an uprising. He could have gathered them all together, and he could have gone in and taken names. He could have taken Jerusalem by storm, but he did not. As a matter of fact, he did just the opposite. Verse 24 says he didn't commit himself to those who said they believed. Had an opportunity, maybe he missed. He could have built a great team. He could have had a huge following. He could have rallied against the coalition. Think of the things they could have accomplished with the vast numbers of people who were saying they believed in Jesus and he was drawing to himself. But that wasn't what he was after. Jesus wasn't after that. He wasn't about building a crowd. He wasn't about 
having people follow him that way. It was about changing lives. It was about giving glory to the Father. It was about people who truly believed in him. See, Jesus discerned what's in a person's heart, and through his word, then he wants to change that heart. When you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you get a heart transplant. You get a heart transplant. Oh, I know, we thought the heart transplants began in the 1960s, but God's been doing this for centuries. We get a heart transplant. See, God wants to change us from within, and it begins with the heart. Greek word for heart is cardia. Cardia, where we get the word cardio. Where we get the word cardio. But the meaning of this word is the middle of one's body consisting of all thoughts, all feelings, and minds, not the organ pumping blood through our bodies. In fact, if you read the original King James, it says bowels. doesn't say heart. The heart is an important subject in Scripture. It's so important that it's mentioned no less than 836 times. From the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 6-5, we get a glimpse of the condition of man's heart. Quote, then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. God saw the wickedness of man. He saw his heart and he couldn't strive with him any longer. So he sends a great flood and he destroys everything on earth except Noah and his family. And shortly after the flood, guess what? Things didn't change. Things didn't change. Man's heart was still wicked and because of sin, Man needed a new heart. We needed a heart transplant. See, God wants man to seek after him with all his heart. Look at the first commandment that was given to Moses. This commandment is so important to the Israelites that every Sabbath they recited. It's called the Shema. It means here in Hebrew. It can only be found in Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you shall be in your heart. The commandments of the Lord were to be in the hearts of man. Commandments wanted those words written on our hearts. But because of sin, there was a problem with the heart, as I said earlier. The Lord told the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. Even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The Lord knows man's deceitful heart. And that the heart of every man is desperately wicked. We're in need of a new heart. We need a heart transplant. The Lord had a solution, though. The Lord had a solution. Look what he tells Ezekiel to say to the nation Israel. Cast away from you all the transgressions that you have committed. And get yourselves a new heart. And a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Ezekiel 18.31. And knowing that man was helpless to get his new heart, God again told Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36.26, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a new heart of flesh. God gives the promise of a new heart. A heart towards Him. You are sure. Our time with you is coming to an end today on A Sure Hope. On our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue this journey through the book of John. But for now, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. 
We encourage you to download these messages so that they are available wherever you go. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for A Sure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel Cape May for a time of worship and Bible study. We meet weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit Assure Hope Radio for times and directions. If you're not able to join us in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live. Just look for the link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of John. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you discover how God's doing great things in your life. We look forward to you joining us again as Pastor Dave has more to share from this book that entails where Jesus walked and the amazing wonders he performed while here on earth. He's still doing wonders today too. Come hear about that next time on A Sure Hope.